This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, the only good thing that happened in 2016. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, that comes from Atif Sumar, A-A-T-I-F-S-U-M-A-R on Twitter. We love your intros. Keep sending them in. Anyhow, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined after a two-week absence uh, by my friend, Verge executive editor, editor-at-large of Recode, Walt Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? Uh, it's going great. I've come out of hiding. You've come and out of hiding. <laughs> here I am. Uh, I'm back. I would apologize to the listener right away for my voice being a little creaky. I just came from CES last week, uh, which is a terrible place. <laughs> Walt didn't go, uh, but for I'm the here. first time in 25 years. For the first time go. in 25 years, you missed the e ink backpack. Uh, yeah, I, you missed sure any number of robots with Alexa in them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but you I, know, I, it was fun. We had a time. Dieter and I did a show. You should go watch the show. I watched the show. Uh, it was great. So, Walt, Everybody we should get into it. I'm excited. It's been two weeks. I got all kinds of things to talk to you about. Uh, but it's kind of a, a crazy week, too, because it's the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone being introduced. And I was just pointing out before the show started, you wrote your column this week about the new breed of TV streaming services, Sling TV, the Dish thing. And it's funny to me that you chose this week to write about those because concurrently with the iPhone being introduced, at the same exact event... Steve Jobs introduced the Apple TV. Uh, and if you go back and watch the whole thing, I think all of us have probably watched the actual iPhone introduction, part of the iPhone introduction a thousand times. But if you watch the whole thing, Steve starts with like a lengthy demo of the Apple TV. He's like, you can sync it with your computer. All these things that you would never do with a TV device now. Uh, yeah. And then he says it's going to cost money and it does the thing. And then he stops. And then he like begins the iPhone presentation. But it's interesting Obviously, we should talk about the iPhone a bit, where it started, all the history there, uh, and then we should talk about TV. But it's interesting. These are two radically different paths that started together on the same day, and we never think about those timelines that way. And I was in the room. You were in the room. In the, I was in the room. So let's start with the iPhone. That was another time I left CES. <laughs> it, was a, it was a different story. Yes. Let's start there. So you left CES. You were at CES. Yeah, so what, here's what happened. Um so, as always, CES was in January. I think it was, obviously, it was in a week that included January, whatever the date was, 7th, or I don't remember the date. But a couple, few weeks before, I get a call from Steve Jobs, which wasn't in itself that well that unusual. I don't mean I got daily calls from him, but you know, he <laughs> called me every once in a while. And he said, um, we're going to have an event. We haven't announced it. Uh, this is completely off the record. I can't tell you what we're introducing, but I'm guaranteeing you you're going to want to be there. And I said, okay, well, when is it? And he, and he gave me the date. And I said, well, Steve, that's in the middle of CES. And I've already got you know, a million back-to-back appointments all over this Las Vegas lined up. And you know, I'm, I'm going to be in Vegas. And he said, I know, I understand, but you're not going to – I'm telling you, this is something you're not going to want to miss. You're going to want to be there. And it's the most important thing we've done since we introduced the Mac. 
in 1984. Right. And he said that. Uh, oh yeah. Oh wow. yeah. And he did said you know several- at that time that it was going to be a phone? No. I mean, there were there were rumors that we we had actually even asked him at the D conference interviews we did with him if they were going to do a phone. He said no. Um, but of course they were working on it, and he mm-hmm. just didn't want to let it out. Uh, this was a common mo of his. So I, I said, "Well, you're guaranteeing me that I, this is journalistically going to be. It's not just you marketing some. Journalistically, I'm going to really want to be there." And he said, "I'm guaranteeing you." And he said, "And furthermore, I'd really like it if you'd come and blah blah." So I uh, luckily wasn't a lot going alone at CES. I had another uh, member of our small. Uh, a team from uh, 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 All Things D, uh, Katie Barrett, um, mm-hmm. with me. And I said, but Katie, it might have been her first CES or second oh, no. CES. And I said to her, um, look, this thing has happened. I have to go. I'm going to have to leave Vegas for a day or a day and a half and then come back. But we have these meetings. You're going to have to take these meetings on your own. So she did that. And I, I straggled to the airport, uh, laid the night before and I get to this gate I can't remember the airline to, for the flight to San Francisco and it was full of tech reporters <laughs> of course and analysts all all you know sort of exhausted typical CES exhausted at night and get, waiting to get on this plane and you know I don't think anybody knew exactly what this was going to be but um and I was I he he was right. I was super glad I went because it turned out to be one of the more historic things uh, in tech. I, I think it was on a par with the announcement of the Mac and uh, probably the announcement even of maybe the Apple II, which I was not present for. Um, but uh, yeah, and you've all everybody has seen or can see the video. I think there's a like a five-minute version. There's an hour-and-a-half version, whatever one you want to watch. But uh, To me, there's it, an incredible story in, you know, it's the height of the job showmanship. It's the height of the thing. But there is a, a normalcy to it. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word. But we think of it now as he got everything right and he was showing the world the future. And you go back and watch, and it is, obviously, it's the iPhone. He, he You can see he's feeling it. He knows he's nailed it. He's telling jokes. He tells he, clicker stops working in the middle. He tells a whole story about Waz screwing with people on their IR remotes in college. <laughs> right. I mean, he he. There's all of that, and then there's the moments where like the reality of the tech world at the time just show up. So you know he's they do it in partnership with at the time Singular, which became AT and T, right? And they've got the CEO of Singular out. And no one, none of these CEOs at the time were doing these big demos like this. So Stan Sigman is out there reading from cards right. in his like ill-fitting suit, and he's like, right. he's admitting like we didn't even see the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> we just J- Jobs we, wouldn't show him the phone. Yeah, they only just, saw a drawing, like a rough drawing. Yeah, of, of but there's this a, amazing it. moment where it just it seems like he's like a hostage. He's like reading from cards, <laughs> and he's like, and they would not let us see the phone. <laughs> Uh, they partnered with Yahoo Mail for Push Mail. Uh, and right. like the CEO yeah. of Yahoo is on there being like, Jer- Was it Jerry it was Yang? Jerry Yang. And he's like, yeah. We're so excited to be the leaders in email. And it's like that, both of you guys had no idea what was coming. Uh, no, but no. They, and, but the yeah, whole world right. was different. Yeah, the whole world was different. And, 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 and you remember famously, Jobs had a slide that showed all the leading 
so-called smartphones. In fact, yeah. one of them, I think, I want to say it was Nokia. Somebody had actually used the word smartphone as a brand right. uh, around that time. And, you know, they were all, like he pointed out, they all used keyboards, which mm-hmm. a lot of some people still today like, but which did have the the downside of hiding, you know, of, of making the screen smaller because they took up a, a lot of room. And also uh, they were physical. You, They couldn't morph into something different yeah. uh, for a different piece of software, which was a point he made uh, even, then, even back then in 2007. Um, and then he talked about styluses and he, he was teased a lot during it. I mean, he said – he said, and here's what we've got. And he showed a, a, a sort of iPod with a rotary phone yeah. dial on it. Which is amazing. <laughs> so it's going up on the site. As we record, I just talked to Tony Fidel, who was on that team. Yeah. Uh, Father of the iPod. <laughs> Father of the iPod. Although John Rubenstein would argue about that. But whatever. Yeah, Father yeah, of yeah. the he iPod. And, he and John Rubenstein, and for listeners, of the, Tony Fidel, people might know because he, he also – Founded and created Nest, although yeah. he's he's left from there. Rubenstein, they might not know as well. Uh, he was a longtime uh, right hand man of Steve Jobs. Ran hardware at Next and yeah. ran hardware at Apple. Although so the Dieter Bone fans on this show, uh, they will know that he was also the CEO of Palm during its last, of the, during moment. its last great iteration. Yeah. yeah. Uh, What's well, still great? It's it's running the it's running the OS on your TV wall. On my TV, my very TV, yeah. And so, <laughs> so uh, Tony Fidel and John Rubenstein were both really smart, really important people in the history of tech. They happened to be at Apple at the same time and working on some some of the same projects. Right. Well, and the, they were the, but the point rivals. of my story, they were rivals. They're, they're they were rivals. It, and Jobs, I think, all of his execs were rivals in one way or another. And now all the rivals are gone. Uh, so Scott Forstall, Tony Fidel, yeah. uh, Ruby. Um, anyway, but Fidel told me that they actually made a prototype iPhone that looked like an iPod uh, that had buttons in a circle. Uh, and so, you know, they actually made it. So that thing he showed, which was an iPod with a rotary dial, yes, you know, it's a hilarious joke, but they, they made something very close to that. I think that's that's what's coming out this year uh, around the anniversary of the iPhone that hasn't come out in the past, which is the story of how the thing was developed. And I don't know if it's just, it's been a decade, those people don't work there anymore, their NDAs are expired, or, you know, just sort of time. But I've always found it interesting that the iPhone emerged as a product and it it went off on the course that it did and it changed the industry the way it did. And we still know so very little about how it was made and who made all the decisions. And now that stuff is coming out. Well, we know who made all the decisions. If there was a final decision to be made, it was always made by Jobs. True. And I believe that even the technical engineering stuff where there were there were competing ideas, there were, as there always are in any of these projects, um, uh, you know, kind of runoffs between different prototypes and things. I, I don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet just knowing his deep interest in the project – that he got more involved than you would think a CEO might. And uh, so anybody that says, well, there was a fight between these prototypes and it was all decided by, you know, Tony and Ruby. I'm not saying Tony. I I like both of them. I think they're both um, really important people uh, who did a lot of fantastic work. And uh, but I don't I don't think a big decision on what 
operating system was going to be used or what approach was going to be taken could have possibly been done without without Steve Jobs on that. You know, maybe on some, maybe on Apple TV or something, but not on on the iPhone. Yeah, because he was basically betting the company on the iPhone. And if and if you read anything, any of the books about him, you know, think about the detail he went into on the Mac and on the Apple II and on Next and on on really everything else. You know, there's also a proto origin story of the iPhone, uh, which he he told me privately mm-hmm. at some point, and I got him. I got him to talk about it publicly on stage in his last appearance at one of um, our conferences, which was that um, – and I think we have talked about it on this podcast before, so I'll keep it short. But, I mean, he originally – he wanted to do a tablet, mm-hmm. uh, not a phone. And it was partly because he was really annoyed by Microsoft's tablet push, which he thought was a bad product. And there was some friend of his wife's that – some couple they knew and they would go out to dinner and this guy worked at Microsoft and he was pregnant. <laughs> this is all according to Jobs. I have yeah. no proof of any of this. And and Jobs told me that he it just annoyed the hell out of him. So he went back and got a couple of his better engineers or a few of them and he said, you know, I want a tablet that doesn't need a stylus, that doesn't run a legacy operating system. And I just want to see what we can do. Can we try, you know, just... Just show me a few things you might be able to do with a touchscreen, a true touchscreen tablet. And they came back, and the thing, he, according to the him and retelling the story, the thing that really blew him away was the rubber band effect. You know, mm-hmm. when you scroll, and the thing bounces a tiny bit when it goes back to the top. Um, he looked at that and he said, "Okay." I really want to pursue this project, but but I n- now I want to take all this stuff and put it into a phone. And let's put the tablet thing on the shelf till we get the phone done. And then they took it back off the shelf and made the iPad. And he told that story. So uh, you know the this and I'm sure he discussed the phone thing with his leadership team, and he didn't make the decision as a yeah. one man you know uh, ruling. But he he felt passionately that. His engineers had come up with something that would make an amazing, different, kick-ass, world-changing phone. And that's really what they introduced. Yeah. I mean, so we've talked about the iPhone in this show a million times. I, uh, we should talk about TV, but I just here's a question for you. And you've, you've seen it all. What are we holding on to from that first iPhone in our current crop of phones that you think it's time to let go of? Is there anything? Are we – Is there, you know, like – I think about that moment when he introduced the iPhone and he he basically said, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to let go of here. We're going to let go of hardware keyboards. We're going to let go of the idea that mobile software needs to be less powerful than than other software. We're going to let go of the idea that we're not going to have full web browsers on these devices, right? Like they they shed a bunch of ideas, they created a bunch of new ideas. What what are we holding on to from that time that, that you think – it might be time to let go of now. You know, it's uh, it's ten years later, and I think that users have dictated even even for a company like Apple, which likes to tell users what they should like. Um, users have changed a lot, starting with third party apps, famously, mm-hmm. and and more carriers. You know, they never repeated the. He 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 told me years later that while. He didn't think it would have gotten off the ground without the the exclusive deal with AT&T. 
he would never do an exclusive deal like that again on something. Uh, so uh, consumers' uh, preferences, I think, have changed it. And other, when I say the iPhone, I really mean now, including Android phones. And I mean, consumers yeah. have kind of shaped the smartphone. But um, if I had to think about what I could live without, yeah. it would probably be now that we have better voice control and different. Uh, you know, even more improved multi-touch uh, interfaces that, that that react to uh, uh, you know the force of, of pressure and other things. I think would probably get rid of some of the physical buttons, all of them maybe. Oh wow! I can I can imagine a phone uh, now, but it but it would really depend, in my opinion, on how well they were able to make the functions the physical buttons perform. Uh, you know. Uh, be done just as well by a pressure or a swipe or something like that. If you even even if you just stick with Apple products, if you look at the what do they call it, the Magic Trackpad or the yeah. you know the the touchpad on the MacBook Pro in front of you, which is you know a superb trackpad, or the way that you could touch the surface of the of the mouse they have. I mean, they should be able to do something. That would take the place of those um, those physical buttons, and then you know, as a trade off, I'd put back the headphone jack. <laughs> Just ninety <laughs> headphone jacks all the way around. Everyone's listening all at once. That'd be great. Right. Uh, my answer, I think, is yeah. that I, I think we are still holding on to the idea that mobile is special. It's a different kind of computer when really it's everyone's primary computer. I don't think that we're building products that feel like primary computers. I still think. There's a little bit of a holdback in what we let users do, how we let people set their preferences. You know, when I think about my Mac, and there, people have been writing a lot about the Mac lately and how it feels like it's on the decline. And one of the common themes in all of those, at least as I read them, is the amount of making the Mac your own carries a lot of weight with users. And the amount of making the iPhone your own doesn't seem to carry, even though you have it with you all the time. It's your most personal thing. I think we're still missing that. I, th I, d I think this industry needs to come around to the idea that, this, if, okay, if this is your primary computer, we need to architect it a little bit differently and let let you into it. Android does a better job than iOS, but I, I think both of them. I think all of the constraints. Oh, I think mobile. Android is moving in the opposite direction of well, now. what you're saying. Yeah. A little bit. Not, you know, in little bits and starts, but I mean, compared to five years ago, Android has moved toward the. The Apple Apple's model, and I'm not. A, yeah. I'm not even talking about the the vertical integration and the creation of the Pixel phone, but the the overall uh, level of here go screw around with this that, yeah. that Android. Well, I mean, if you have. just you know the first iPhone, it came out. It had a baby processor, right? It was on a slow edge network. It had a low resolution screen. The iPhone I have now, which I don't even have the seven in front of me. I have the six S Plus. This thing has a processor faster than my laptop in college. It has access to a broadband network faster than my laptop in college. It has actually a higher resolution screen than my laptop in college. Uh, it's. I think it's just time to like let people not treat users like they don't know how computers work when they use these devices. Well, I, I, I honestly think I think you're right in some ways. I think, for instance, there are one or two things I can think of, the most important of which would be to let me decide that say Google Maps is my default Maps app instead of Apple Maps. Yeah. 
um, which is something that happened on computers a long time ago. There's probably one or two other things like that that really have much more to do, in my opinion, with Apple's particular culture than they do with them thinking of this as a secondary computer. Well, I think that, at the time. But, but, but I think one reason it's still treated a little differently than your laptop is A, people still have cellular it still it still runs on cellular for a lot of people a lot of the time mm-hmm. as opposed to wi-fi and cellular has been made i think probably falsely or or overdone as a scarce commodity yep. that costs people a lot of money and so they have to engineer the handsets uh, and the and the operating systems to help people economize on that and so for instance the notion that not everything is running simultaneously and that some things are put into kind of a suspended state, which uh, Apple and actually Microsoft, when they were uh, making phones uh, for more than a show, had the same idea. Um, I, you know, I think that's, that was done for that reason and for battery. Yeah. These things run on batteries and they run on uh, expensive and capped networks. And that's what makes the big difference, I think. I think if somebody invented – if they could run on two-day batteries or five-day batteries and they always ran on something like Wi-Fi, then I don't, then I don't think – I think they would be designed differently. But yeah. they are a little – they live in a different environment. Well, so that's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying tomorrow just like unlock the iPhone I have and let me do it. I'm saying the assumption that you could break – is that this is constrained by things that it might no longer be constrained by. And what would you do differently if you didn't have that constraint? I think that was the key innovation with the first iPhone, right? What if we eliminate these constraints and we build this thing the way we want to? I think the next set of constraints is what if... And I, I do think all that closed system lockdown was critical to making the first iPhone successful. It was the first smartphone that anybody could use because... It did. It made so many decisions for you. I think that is absolutely key to its success. I think a decade on, everybody knows how to use these things. So let's maybe that pendulum needs to swing back. Maybe we need to think about it differently. Right, it's just a thought, random passing thought. Anyway, yeah. I did just to, before we go on to streaming, which yeah. I really do want to talk about. Um, there's there's some lively discussion on Twitter about my column today. I I, I just want to say that I I don't think. You can overestimate the importance of the iPhone. No. Oh, and I have to tell – I have to tell – I promised to tell something and I have to tell. Oh. So why was Love it introduced in, in January yeah. of 2007 even though it didn't go on sale till I want to say June? might have been July but I think it was June of 2007. I asked Jobs what would happen at these things and you, I think you know this. Um, all the Apple events regardless of what they were showing – is that a certain selected group of reporters who came from what were considered to be influential news organizations would be invited back to meet with uh, Jobs in one of the back rooms. And they still do that, but Tim Cook doesn't do it. Today it's done by Phil Schiller or or other folks. Um, But in those days, Jobs did some of them himself. And because they had to rig it up in temporary rooms – it, there were usually these black curtains you went through because there weren't walls. They had 
had to make these. So it was a little bit like the Wizard of Oz, you know. There was a guy behind the curtain, and it was Steve Jobs. <laughs> and you went, and you went in, and He's running I can the remember the day, the day of the iPhone one. You know, he was just so. I walked in, and he, he went, "Well, well, did I lie to you? Wasn't what did you think? What do you really think? You know?" And he, isn't this amazing? And he was taking it out, and I mean, waving it around. And I said to him. I just have, I, I have a million questions, but one of my questions is, why are you announcing this in January when you're not going to sell till June? Mm-hmm. Because they they were they were always even then you know all about secrecy and surprise and springing things on people. He goes, I know, I hate that I have to do this, but here's the deal: this is a phone. We've never made a phone, and when you make a phone, the FCC has a much you know, more extensive review process than it does for other electronic devices. Interesting. And they were going to – something about how the FCC was going to publicly disclose this on its website uh, as a matter of its normal procedure. And he, and I'll never forget this. He said to me, I'll be goddamn if I'm going to let the, the FCC <laughs> announce my damn phone. That's great. We did that so to him he, all the time, by the way. When we ran Engadget, we had a bot – and every single morning, that bot would tell us every new product that hit the FCC. And it was right. great. And we leaked so much stuff out of it. Uh, and then after Apple did the phone, they began petitioning the FCC along with some other companies to make some of the stuff secret and put it under seal. And so that bot, we didn't bring it with us when we came to The Verge because it rapidly lost its value. Every now and again, something sneaks through. But for like two years the Engadget crew, we were just leaking things left and right out of the FCC. And so that's why he yeah. did it in January, and I don't think he did it to screw CES, although I do have to say he he took secret oh, yeah. pleasure in the fact that once he introduced it, people, I mean, there, nothing that happened at CES got any publicity. I mean, you know, no, nobody talked about anything but iPhones. And then next year at CES and right up through this year at CES, I, I suspect there was part of the CES floor is devoted to accessories for his product yeah. that never had a booth there and never, you know, had a stage appearance there. Yeah. I mean, I, Apple has always loved to screw CES. This year was, like, pretty <laughs> weak. They were, they did, like, I think Lauren wrote it and Ina wrote it at Recode. Right. Some stuff about right. the App Store. It was It's not on the par with come to San Francisco to look at the iPhone. <laughs> um, right. Anyhow. Let's move on to streaming. It's streaming, really, yeah. And, and while you and I had like a, a great conversation about this yesterday, which I want to get into as well. But let's just start at the start. You reviewed the new streaming services that are floating out there in the world that people are so excited about. I did. And, um, and I apologize uh, to readers that I was a little late to deal with Sling TV, which came out last year. Uh, but I was prompted to do so by the fact that um, DirecTV Now came out. Uh, this year in, uh, I think, November. And so watching DirecTV now, I decided to also watch a, a bunch of Sling TV and kind of go over their, you know, their pricing and their what do they look like and what do they offer. And I, and I realized that I'm just watching, I'm just watching cable. Yeah. Uh, they, hap- they happen to both be from the two main satellite providers, DirecTV, which is owned now by AT&T, and Dish, which, which owns Sling. But, um, but satellite and cable basically, uh, while they're transmitted differently, they, uh, they present the same thing to you. And what do they present to you? Uh, this would have been true seven years ago, ten years ago. they still true today. They present to you 
uh, tiers or, or various size bundles of made up of networks, channels. So, you know, everything from uh, FX to is, is there an FXX? I think yes, there is. There is. To uh, it's super to, unclear what why <laughs> six varieties of ESPN yeah. to you know and and be the broad big broadcast networks and and you know the Esquire channel and you know just everything uh, kids channels and whatever uh, thrown together uh, and they're and and they're they're fairly expensive and they're bundled together that's what they offer they sell their product in bundles mm-hmm. you can't just say i will only want this network and oh by the way i'll take this other network and this other network you can't do that you can choose among their tiers uh, and then then they charge extra extra for premium things like hbo uh, that's part of what they offer the other thing they offer is linearity just like uh, watching o- over-the-air TV when there were only three networks, uh, uh, really not much has changed. There's linearity. So this show is on at 8 o'clock and this show is on at 9 o'clock and opposite on some other networks are these other shows that start at 9 o'clock unless it's a football day, in which case you can't figure out when they start and uh, or when they end. And um, they run till 10 o'clock and... At 10 o'clock, something else comes on. And if you aren't in front of your TV at 9 o'clock, you don't get to see this week's episode of this particular show unless you pay the cable or satellite service for the privilege of using a digital video recorder, which is something that was invented by TiVo and Replay a long time ago, in which case you can record the shows on a hard disk or – more recently in some cases in the cloud. And then you get to essentially, it's kind of like building your own playlist. And so uh, DirecTV Now and Sling TV, that's what they are. They're selling you bundles. Yep. They're, they're so-called skinnier bundles, meaning fewer channels for less money than are typical with regular cable or satellite. And they're selling you what's on now. They're linear for the most part. The heart of both those services is bundled networks shown in linear fashion, which to me is simply saying, yes, we're streaming this over the internet, but we're basically just transporting cable onto this other way of transmitting it, which is to stream it over the internet. And completely the opposite of of Netflix and Hulu, which streamed over the internet uh, are, are streamed over the internet, but which allow you to watch any show you want, anytime you want, at any frequency you want. Even the original shows that Netflix and, say, Amazon produce and and that where they dump all 13 episodes out at once, you can binge them. You can decide to watch them once a week. You can watch one of them 16 times. Yeah. You can watch all of them and go back and watch the second episode again <laughs> and figure something out, you know. There's, in the case of Netflix, I think we all just learned no, how Walt watches The West Wing, by the way. Oh, that's right, you know, and, <laughs> and or but but I mean, it's it's even true with with uh, with with new shows. It just yeah. doesn't matter. Um, and so, I think in a way, what what these two guys are are doing, what these two companies are doing, is a betrayal of the real, true internet-based streaming TV. Now, it's America. They're free to do it. People, some people, uh, not many, I have to say, but I ran into 
at least two or three people on Twitter who seem to like that. That's fine. They're really aimed at desperately holding on to customers whose main problem is price sensitivity, uh, in my opinion. Or, you know, they don't want to rent a cable box. They don't want to contract because you can generally cancel these uh, without a large amount of hassle. So they're just taking away a few of the pain points uh, and trying to hold on to the traditional model. And I worry about that because I'm worried that the Netflix slash Hulu slash Amazon model that is around could be overcome or pushed to the back by this attempt to replicate cable on the internet. Right. That's what, so, what so I wrote. The big fear is cord cutters, right? So the cable behemoths like Comcast and it's not Charter anymore, but Time Warner, whatever it's called. They all have different names now. Yeah. (laughs) All the big ones, Fios, (laughs) I have Fios. They insisted for years that no one would ever cut the cord, that it wasn't real. Then they insisted for years it was negligible. And now they're like, oh, holy shit. Um, Because it it happened, right? People stopped buying cable. They started buying the internet. They watch YouTube and Netflix all day and everyone's happy. And then- you know, they they find a pirate stream of the NFL to watch. I'm not saying I know anybody who does this. I'm just saying this is the information I have. Facts. <laughs> 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 Actually, you can watch the NFL on Twitter. Yeah, you can watch, you, you can watch one on phone, Thursday on night Verizon garbage phone. game with bad uniforms on Twitter once a week, and that's all the NFL you need. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's it, right? They're all Dolphins games? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're saying? I mean, Wow, so really? real AFC East <laughs> shade on this podcast. Uh, you know it's going to be Packers-Patriots, and we're going to the Super Bowl. Together. I know. You know we're it's coming. Uh, I, and, and, and can I just say, however it comes out, and the Patriots will win, but however it comes out... <laughs> I think that's the best. If you're a fan of the NFL, that's the best game oh, yeah. it's two best for the Super Bowl. And you also, want, that's you want Brady and Rogers. And, that's what and you if want. you're a fan of Control Out Delete, Neiline Wall at the Super Bowl is the best episode of the show ever that's, to be recorded. That's the whole episode. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> so cord cutting is real. So the I have been told for years. TV executives have told me for years. You know, in the next month. We're going to do a skinny bundle over the internet. We see, you know, it, it just hasn't happened because the incentive to go capture the younger customer who is not buying cable hasn't been real until I would say the past year. So they're out. And while I think what you're saying is all they're doing is they've, they, they're taking away your cable box and giving you an app instead. And the app can run on the Apple TV, it can run it. But the experience is exactly the same as the cable box experience. But less feature filled because you don't have your own local DVR that lets you do whatever you want and skip commercials. You don't have the ability to uh, run other apps. So, like the Comcast X1 box has Netflix on it. So, there's no integration between the things. You don't have TiVo has really great search across multiple services. So, you actually you end up with a cable box with less features uh, and more limited choice. And I, oh, yeah, that's, no, like a, that's, no. a, that's that- kind of messy. That it, 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 it's oh, a, and it it's eats a, up your data plan unless you go along with like zero rating on, on various services. So when you pay for cable, it's not like you're using your internet data. When you're using one of these services, you're using your Comcast data cap. Right. I mean, you can watch it on your uh, Apple TV. I was going to say Roku, but I think one of them at least doesn't work on Roku. Uh, they both work on Apple TV, which is what I, I tested it on. One of them will give you an Apple TV, I think, if you signed up. Yeah, during I think a that's dish. Period. But when I think of what's on my Apple TV... You know, if I really want, uh, you know, most of this stuff, it's there as separate apps uh, in one way or another. 
Oh, and the other thing you forgot to mention is most of them don't get your local station. Right. Um, you know, there was a fight years ago about this with regard to cable and satellite, and it got resolved in the in the way in a way that I think was good for the public. And this, but this hasn't been resolved. So, uh, I, in my case, one of the my local stations popped up on one of them. I think a different station might have popped up on another. I'm not sure. I think one of the stations in D.C. is is an O and O, meaning it's owned and operated by the network. Uh, but most of the country and most of the stations, I think New York might be a big exception to this. In most of the country, the stations are not owned by the networks. Yep. Um, they're owned by other big media companies that you've never heard of, and they're all yeah. and they're always like some family that bought a TV station in the in the fifties. Well, or like Sinclair is a big one that owns a bunch of stations around the country. I think they're the biggest actually. And they're not a, a a network in and of themselves. They're but they're a, it's it's kind of like McDonald's doesn't own all the McDonald's. Right. You don't you don't. There might be people who still think McDonald's owns all the McDonald's. I don't believe McDonald's has ever said otherwise. But you know they're not. Right. And so um, whatever you think of them, a lot of good programming that wins awards and that gets a lot of audience happens to be on the four big broadcast networks. And the only way you can watch them over cable over satellite or over streaming is uh, if you could if you can get the local affiliates because they haven't well I guess they have apps if you already have a cable subscription is the right. TV everywhere it is idea. way more complicated than it has any right to be yeah it, it's it's incredibly complicated so in fact and I noted this I, I believe you actually you actually uh, were mildly critical of the way this device looked. But um, <laughs> I think I saw a tweet from you when you were at CES. Um, but there's a device called Air TV yeah. uh, that is put out by Sling that um, actually doesn't require a Sling subscription, interestingly, but costs $130 that basically uh, invites you to buy an antenna, not included. It's in tiny type at the bottom of the page. And... <laughs> Put, put it uh, in your house. You usually have to put them on the window, although I think some of them you do not. Uh, and that brings in, actually, in HD uh, and in digital form, the uh, your local stations. Yeah. And it pipes it into the box. And if you buy their service, it then combines them all into the, into the faux cable or faux satellite network that you can get streaming if you want this box, which looks yeah. like it was made by... Fisher Price. Yeah. Um, it, it, Dish, I, I, literally the worst industrial design in the entire tech industry <laughs> comes out of Dish Network. There's no there's no getting around it. My mother-in-law has a Dish Network box. It is the most hideous remote I've ever seen. Is it the hopper? It's the hopper. It's got a big, fat touchscreen remote or a touchpad remote. Oh. It's, it just makes no sense. It's like the bizarro world Johnny Ive is there being like, make it chubbier. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand it. <laughs> So confusing. The Hoppa, H O P P A H. The Hoppa. You've seen the ads. So you know, weird. I like the Hoppa. Anyway, but th- so I like that Hoppa idea. But I, so so I'm concerned about that. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and I'm sure we get a lot of tweets about this. The best picture quality you can get for TV is actually one of those antennas. If you're fortunate enough to live in a place where you can pick up all of your locals with an antenna in good quality and it doesn't go out when it rains and all the stuff that antennas do, and you care about picture quality, which actually not a lot of people do, um, you should put up an antenna. It'll look amazing, but it that's not a solution, right? It's that's, that's something that some people know about 
a lot of people are forced to use because they can't afford anything else. But it's not the holistic solution to the problem of distributing No, TV. of course it's not. And uh, as our uh, good friend and, and colleague, uh, Vox Media colleague Peter Kafka at Recode wrote when he wrote a little piece about this uh, Air TV, everybody who really cares a lot about this, who has cut the cord, has already figured out that they can put up an antenna. Yeah. And they may have to switch inputs to use it. He didn't go into all this detail, but I think they may have they may not it may not be smoothly integrated like these guys promise and I didn't test it. But um it, it's it's they're not including an antenna. They're not creating some cool new antenna. They're just saying go out and buy an antenna. They actually sell a separate adapter you have to buy. The hundred and thirty buck package includes an adapter for the antenna. Classic co- seamless dish network end. design. <laughs> yeah. It has like a USB on one end <laughs> and a coax on the other for the antenna to fit in. This episode of Control Delete is also brought to you by Wonder Capital. What if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Introducing Wonder Capital, the award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects across the United States. Wonder's online investment platform allows you to earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Your investment in Wonder's fully managed solar investment funds goes directly to helping U.S. small and medium-sized businesses install solar panels. As those businesses repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly payments directly deposited into your bank account. And best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. So create an account for free at wondercapital.com walt. That's wonder with a U. wondercapital.com walt. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. So I want to talk about you. You're talking about this is bundles, right? We're recreating the bundles no one wants, right? In particular, what everyone has always wanted is the the a la carte subscription bundle, where you say, uh, you know, I want ESPN, NBC, Comedy Central, HBO. I just want to pay for those four. And no cable provider has ever let you do that. Um, none of these services let you do that. You're talking about on Netflix, shows are somewhat unbundled from their networks. So, you know, in the background, Netflix has to make deals with distributors and syndicators and networks. But your perception of a service like Netflix is it has a bunch of shows. And you just watch one episode of that show, whatever, whenever you want, in isolation, unbundled from the network that it's on or even its own season or whatever. You can just pick right. what you want. That unbundling to me is like the main thing the internet has accomplished in media. So if you think about even The Verge, right, the closest pre-internet corollary to The Verge would be a, a magazine. And the magazine was mm-hmm. a bundle of articles, and in between the articles were a bunch of ads, and you had no choice. You had to take the whole thing. But now right. you get to choose, right? Our articles go out in individual atoms like all the time. Our videos on YouTube go out. They're individual. They all have to be packaged well, and, themselves. Well, and people read them on our site, which is a Fabulous, wonderful site. I yeah. recommend everyone go to it. Uh, recently redesigned and beautiful. Uh, but a lot of people read them. Re- read, read my column this morning. Read your whatever you uh, are going to write uh, or wrote today, uh, and whatever our great staff wrote. Uh, they read it on Facebook. They yeah. read it on Snapchat. They read it uh, on Google. You know, they do a search and they find it. And they read it on Google, what's called Google Amp. Yeah. And the and the articles appear very quickly. And you're, but they're not 
on our site. We actually part of we call, here internally our company refers to that as one and done, right? It's like a phrase we use. Like we yeah. have a lot of one and done visitors. They bang into us from Facebook and they they leave. That unbundling, I think we're seeing kind of the farthest point of that pendulum because the money that comes with the bundle is way higher than the money that comes with complete unbundling. So you were pointing out to me the major cable news networks, their middle-of-the-day audience is smaller than even the smallest site in the Vox Media Network. But they make way more money because you're watching them in, in linear order and they can stick ads in your face. And they can promise the advertisers they'll see the ads. Well, it, and, they're, they're, and the ads are interstitial. Now, I know on this podcast... Uh, we're gonna. We have ads, mm-hmm. and we're very grateful to our sponsors. Buy everything they make, <laughs> but um, I, 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 we gotta charge them extra for that. One. Just buy everything they make. I don't even know what it is, but whatever it is, <laughs> buy everything. <laughs> Maybe it's pools of sulfur. Whatever they sell, buy every. Oh man, buy pools it, of sulfur dot com. <laughs> Stock is on the rise. <laughs> So we have sponsors here, yeah. and and both of us make our our paycheck primarily off advertising. So this is not a, an anti advertising rant, yeah. but the particular style of advertising that's been on TV for pretty much all well, it was a little bit different in the beginning. The sponsor's name was actually in the title <laughs> of the show in the fifties, but um, you know it's primarily settled into interstitial advertising. And uh, if you go to an app uh, like many of the big network apps for which you you have to have um, a cable subscription to even get to use them they don't that they, they even if they let you fast forward and, and, and reverse during the show they don't let you do that during the commercials and there's no way to buy or CBS I think just introduced a way to buy a commercial free version of their app yeah so yeah bundling helps these guys make money and there is a revenue factor and I understand it and I think you know the cable guys will tell you. Uh, I've, I've I've heard uh, uh, the cable guys tell you that small networks would die in many cases and couldn't stand alone if they weren't part of a bundle. And my reaction to that is I'm just always pro consumer. Yeah, uh, I don't have anything against these small networks. Some of them have come up. I mean, who would have guessed that American Movie Classics was that the name? Yeah. Is that the full name of AMC? Yeah, uh, which. Just showed old movies would have been the network that did Mad Men and Breaking Bad. You wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. But they did. And so, you know. But the uh, argument there is they were subsidized for the longest time and they were able to that, grow. That's grow, right. Grow. That's correct. But you have to earn it, mm-hmm. just like we have to earn it every day, just like everybody in every form of media, music has to earn it. But nobody, I, I use this in the column, nobody. Ha- nobody has to go to Spotify and Apple Music and do the following. Pick from what labels do you want? Right. Oh, I, you know, I think I want the plan that has Sony and, uh, I don't know, name another label, whatever. Warner. Wait, they've all combined. Warner. It's just one label. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it yeah. is, but you know, there are some small labels. Yeah. What? There are four. There's four. Um, you know, I just want, I just, I don't want the indies and I don't want, Two of them, I only want two of them. And by the way, after that, that's my bundle. But beyond that, it's linear. So I can't make my own playlist. I just I just have to say, oh, I, I love three songs off the Beatles' White Album, but I have to listen to the White Album, both, all of it, in order, 
And then somewhere in there, I'll hear my two songs. That's kind of like what what DirecTV now is and, uh, and Sling TV. And yes, I should note, you can look at – you can watch some individual past episodes. Um, but you have to watch them like you do in cable video on demand, which is, you know uh, – I actually saw a notice, I think on direct – uh, that said, just like on cable and satellite, that said some features of your of your device won't work during the airing of this on-demand show, including fast forward. So you know you're watching it. It it you. It's just as if it was yanked out of the linear queue and operates the same way. My point is that would be the analogy. That's not what the analogy is. Even back before streaming, when it was downloads iTunes and later Amazon came along and said, you can break the album. Never mind the label, which nobody nobody thought about the label. Uh, you can break the album down into songs and you can purchase for 99 cents, later $1.29. You could purchase a song or two songs or three songs off you know, an Adele album that you like or uh, – you know, a Beyonce album that you like or or a Rolling Stones album you like or whatever. And you can make your own playlist. And we can make and, – and then it went to streaming and they said, we'll make a playlist for you if you want uh, based on your listening habits. And we'll integrate the things you've purchased with the things we have available for streaming and all of that stuff. And that's the way that's evolved and that's what I would like to see evolve. I, I would like the Netflix model or if that's impossible – I would at least like to see bundles you can construct yourself. Yeah. And I know there are economic consequences to that, but that's what I'd like. And so what's interesting to me, coming here this all the way full circle at the end of our show, is 10 years ago, Apple put out the phone, reinvented the entire industry. During that presentation, Jobs said, we put out the iPod and reinvented the music industry. Then he puts out the phone, reinvents the world, quite frankly. Same yeah. time, puts out the TV. That Apple TV has gone a, it's been a much more circuitous route to where we are today, and it's I think it's it's a radically different product than it was ten years ago, right? It's now mm-hmm. it's a streaming yeah. box. It's basically a little iPhone that's supposed to run apps, but it is nowhere close to having the impact that the phone has had. And in fact, these other companies, Netflix, Amazon, I've got an old Amazon video service review of yours here. Um, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, those companies, HBO even, have done way more in thinking, changing how we think about TV than any one particular platform has done. Why, why right. do you think that's I mean, backwards? they're all on the Apple TV, but, well, not Amazon, but the other two are. Yeah. Amazon has its own box. Um, the Roku is kind of the Switzerland that tends to have all of them. Yeah. Um, well, because I think, I think, we, I think we know why. We've covered it. Recode has covered it even even more, even more closely because Peter Kafka is terrific at it. But, I mean, they uh, – Apple, when they brought out the last Apple TV, that was meant to be uh, a combined hardware-software services thing where they would have their own TV service. Right. And um, – uh, for you know, I know they were going for very, very skinny bundles. I, what I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if if they, they were even willing to do configurable bundles or mm-hmm. try to do configurable bundles. But basically, the people that control this are not, even though 
the public uh, in survey after survey has shown that it hates their cable company and, and, and all of that and probably with good reason. Um, but it isn't in this in this case, I don't think the real villains or the real problem are the cable companies or the satellite companies. I think the real behind the scenes uh, block to this are the owners of the studios and the and the yeah. and the rights. To, to the media, so the media, the big media companies, you know, the Bio, the Viacoms, the the the, the tw- what is it called, Tw- Murdoch, Twenty First Century Fox, yep. now, those those guys, and they, my understanding is that if Apple had said oh, we just want to do, I mean, seriously, if you look at this Directv Now thing, there's no reason Apple couldn't have done that, and probably gotten this, you know, if they're willing to pay the same price, which they could afford, I suppose. For the rights to all these shows and charge for these skinny bundles and not make them configurable and not let you fast forward through a show on demand and done all these restrictive things that just mimicked it. They could be in the game too if they wanted to be, but that's not what they wanted to do. So they didn't do anything. Right. I think they're, they're you know, they're sitting back and I presume waiting for the next turn of the screw and see if they can get in and, and change it. Well, I'll say having uh, come from CES, which is dominated by TVs and talking yep. to the TV vendors and the you know all the broadcasters and programmers there the overwhelming sense is that what's going to happen is the next wave of people buying TVs they're just going to use what whatever's on the screen they're not going to buy another box so you're going to buy the 4K HDR TV and then you're just going to run Netflix directly on and most of them are pretty good at it uh, Lauren Good and Chris Welch we had a long talk about it if you're you know the one of the easiest ways to get 4K content on your 4K TV is to just use the app that's built into it because it's pretty good, which is not what I would have said even a year ago. So their belief is that you're just going to buy the TV and then you're done and that all the other services will just write apps to all the TV platforms. And I'm sure I'm sure that's their belief. I've talked to the TV. I didn't, As we established, I wasn't at CS yeah. this year, but every year is TV year at CES. And I, I've, t- I've talked to all of them. I, God, I sat through an hour. <laughs> explanation of quantum dots three years ago but um oh they did it again this year <laughs> don't yeah, worry sure. the, the quantum dot now they're metal coded are, are they metal coded am i right oh yeah no it's a whole thing it's like you have to sit through that and at the end you get a an opportunity to buy a timeshare in mexico it's like it just happens every year <laughs> 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 it's awful la quantum dot <laughs> um uh, anyway anyway yeah they say a lot they say a lot of things now in fairness, uh, listeners to this podcast know I bought a TV this year for the because you don't buy a TV every year. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, uh, I bought an LG OLED. I know it's not quite as thin as the super thin one this year, but believe me, it's very thin. I sometimes I just kind of stare at it from the <laughs> side. It's so thin. No, I'm not kidding. I've done that. Uh, and, and That's how you know um, you're a true gadget nerd at heart still. I know, I know. Well, it gets kind of fat at the bottom because they have to have some place yeah. to put stuff, and the speakers have to have a little bit of room to emit a sound. So hey, uh, they know, solved they both of those problems this year, by the way. <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, um, actually, my the sound on mine is not bad. Yeah. So for volume, uh, uh, for just volume. so the just so the listeners know, LG's solution to that problem is they broke all the electronics out into a sound bar, which is cool, and Dieter likes it, and the speakers pop up. Sony's solution. Uh, is they literally the screen vibrates and the screen is the speaker, which is like fascinating. Right. Anyway, 
and I read and I read our coverage yeah. on both those things. So, so and I have watched Netflix and I have watched Amazon and uh, there's one or two others built into the TV, mm-hmm. and and I have I should point out um, I have you know Apple TV I have um, an X1 box which has at least Netflix on it. I have uh, the Fire TV stick. I have a bunch, you know, uh, I have a Roku stick somewhere that doesn't happen to be on the TV right now, but could could be. So I have a lot of opportunities, and, and I could stream Netflix. I could either I have a Chromecast. Uh, I forgot to say in the TV, so I could cast Netflix. Yeah. I could AirPlay Netflix. That's the Apple, uh, you know, equivalent. There's a, a fifteen ways I could do Netflix on there. And I don't usually use the one on the LG, but I have. Um, and frankly, I don't see the I don't see the difference on the screen in quality between the at least the Apple TV and the, and the internal app. Uh, maybe I'm just not watching things that are in 4K. Um, but here's the problem: the problem is that LG, and it's a good example because it's actually using the remnants of a real uh, admired operating system, WebOS. Which Dieter Bone, single tier Dieter Bone. I mean, you just said Dieter earlier, but yeah. now I'm using his full name. Uh, Dieter Bone liked and loved, and so did I. Hard to compete with Dieter, but I did. I did love it at the time. It was in Palm phones, run by John Rubenstein of the earlier iPhone story. Listeners, you know, you can all these things come together. Um, so the LG TV has a real – the remnants of a real operating system in it and yet I don't have any faith that they will um, keep upgrading these apps and adding to them. They have a store and I have gotten a few upgrade notices on the apps. Uh, so they're obviously doing something active with it right now. But in four years on my model TV, will they continue to upgrade it? I don't think so. Yeah. So uh, whereas – I'm 99% sure Apple TV and Roku and Amazon and Chromecast will will keep up with it. Yeah. I mean, and, there's a lot and, of and cer- certainly Roku's you're, out there, though. Right? I mean, I, I, I think that's the... Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. But, I mean, the TV guys will... will they don't have a tradition or a history of doing that, of keeping up with that. True. So we'll see. You know, I don't want to impugn LG. Maybe they'll be the exception, and they'll be just as good as the as the computer and and phone guys. That's a lot of it's a lot of hope to end the show. With. That's a lot it's of the hope. most and optimism so that's, we've ever expressed on the show. I think so. That's my problem. Yeah. So I think you ha- you know you have, right now. I think you're best served plugging something into it. But you know, didn't Vizio. Oh yeah, Vizio. Yeah, they, they didn't want to be in the platform more. I think that that's like a really interesting approach. And I actually just bought. <laughs> this is how I know about my mother-in-law's terrible Dish Network remote. That's her primary TV box. So I just bought her the Vizio that has no software on it because it's never going to get in her way. She's just going to use the Dish Network box. And then we bought her yeah. for Netflix. We I stuck a Roku under there. It's all fine. But I think if you if you're buying a TV, a brand new high end TV today. And what you want to do is, like, you know, use your cable box and watch all the Netflix. You might as well just use the Netflix app on that thing. It's the, it's the same experience in large part. Wow, I can't believe you're saying it's this. It's true. This is interesting. Because unless now, you, you want all the do, other stuff. and Do you do this at home? Uh, I don't because my TV uh, runs absolutely garbage software. Uh, <laughs> and I don't. But I, I just bought a new $500 Samsung. Um, 
It's a tiny, it's curved. Uh, I, I'll just confirm for everyone that curved TVs are real dumb. I feel bad for buying yeah. this thing. But its Netflix app is identical, identical to the Netflix app on the Roku. They're, and yeah. Netflix does this on purpose. And so you're not get you're spending money to get substantially the same experience. So I that to me is that's the moment that I think well, the TV thing it, gets it, a little weird for Apple. If people are like, why am I why am I spending a hundred dollars on you know sixteen gigs of storage for under my TV? Because they have sixteen hundred apps. But those apps have to ro- do something. If you're just well, watching do. Netflix. Netflix is one of them. Yeah. I'd, there's there's Hulu. I mean, they don't have Amazon, but they have pretty much everything else, and they have many more things. They, you know, they 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 have uh, well, no, and they have uh, games. I, I I I get it. They have games. They have they have videos from places like the Wall Street Journal that you can. They that there are apps for that. There are apps for a lot of things on. Yeah, there. I'm saying they haven't and, found for. I think for a long time, the killer app for the Roku was the Netflix app, right? And for a long time, yeah. the killer app for the Apple TV was being able to rent a movie. It's it right. still is. It's still the main thing I use my Apple TV for. It's we're gonna rent a movie or pay the money. Main thing I use it for it, is Netflix. And then, and then the, the and, movie's and, and, windowed and, and, out of the rental, but they're showing it to me anyway, so I pay the sixteen dollars yeah. for the movie. This happens to me like every weekend. Those are great, but they're as those things I think as they start to get integrated into the TVs themselves, which is like I'm saying, the TVs have caught up a little bit. Then they have to find a new killer app, and I think that's like that's well, nice I think challenge. that's fascinating. Yeah. And I want to know why you don't have a new TV. I'm going to buy an LG OLED. I'm, 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 I'm. A year after me, the, finger on the trigger. I'm just a year after well, me. I was waiting for know. the. You know, I know CES is coming, so then I, now I have to wait another six <laughs> months, <laughs> yeah. and then I'll know CES is coming again. Maybe even wait. more behind me. I mean, it's just <laughs> embarrassing. I'm in a big debate. God. We'll see. You know, you know how this. I, is. I mean, what will the sponsors who sell pools of sulfur think? <laughs> You're so behind. I really am behind. Well, you know what, Walt? I think you can call my wife and tell Becky that it's time for us to upgrade all our TVs. <laughs> She'll love that. No, I'm not. I already went through that with one wife. <laughs> I've gone through it with yours, man. <laughs> Whew, that's real tough. Uh, all right. I think we should wrap up here. I missed you, man. It's been a couple of weeks. I'm glad, I'm glad yeah, we did this. Yeah, this has been one. a lot of fun. Uh, anyhow, that's... You know we're going to be marked explicit in, in by iTunes. That's fine. I think that actually helps us go up the algorithmic <laughs> rankings. <laughs> people want people want the heat. I mean, Andrew and Peter are good, but I don't think they can get all the profanity out of this. It's just too much. It's a little too much. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's our show this week. Uh, if you missed the Vergecast at CS, go back and find it. There's a post on the site. It has all the Twitter embeds. We turned it into a TV show, which was very, I know. very interesting and, and very wild. It's the only thing I missed being at CS. It was, it was, it was something else. The thing I learned about TV shows. So I would have forced my, I would have photo, photo bombed it. Oh, or you, something. we would, we would have, we would put you at the hype desk. Megan's out. Walt's in. Um, <laughs> I don't, uh, don't, don't. <laughs> Megan was great. Uh, was, wouldn't be as good as Megan. At the hype desk. <laughs> she was great. Uh, okay, Lauren Good was great. Casey was great. Paul, Ashley, the whole whole crew was great. Anyway, uh, great. if you missed that stuff, go back and watch it. It's, it was really fun. I'm, I want you to watch it and tell me what you think about it because we're deciding if we want to do stuff like that in the future some more. But Dieter and I also host The Vergecast as a podcast. That is back as of this week, so listen to that. Uh, on the Recode side, Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is great. It sounds like she and Kara had a spirited CES discussion this week. Uh, <laughs> we've talked. Kara was like, I'm so thrilled not to be at CES. <laughs> I can't tell you. Uh, we've talked about Peter a bunch on the show. Uh, he hosts Recode Media, which is one of my all-time favorites for Media Geeks. you got to watch that. And Kara herself. 
Post Recode Decode, which is deep, deep valley gossip and talk, and that's wonderful. So go listen to all of our is. podcasts. They're all on iTunes. Give them all five stars. Tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. We love your comments and feedback. I love getting intros. We're a little thin on the intro side, so this is a week. Get them back out. we got to start 2017 strong. Uh, and we will be back next week. Thanks a lot, Walt. Thanks a lot, Nilo. Thanks a lot, Nilo.